It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is Bonus Benson. This segment is officially completely off the rails. What are you talking about? Stuff we wish never aired. I will eat chalupas all day long. Come on, man. The Guy Benson Show. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're in New York today, tomorrow, and Thursday. Back to the D.C. home base on Friday. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, wherever you get your podcast. Lots of options for that free podcast every single day. At Guy Benson Show, Twitter and Instagram. I encourage you to follow us if you would. Well, now that we are back here together, all of us in New York, the whole team, all four of us here, producer Christine apparently has some stories. Producer Christine is very concerned about what she's calling a coup or potentially a coup. She's going to start her own, like, January 6th-style investigation of the rest of the staff, apparently. And then we're told we are in for a doozy of a Mother's Day tale as well. Let's start with the alleged coup, Christine. What exactly is the problem here? It's quite confusing, Guy, that uh, yesterday was my first day back. From your vacation in California. Yep. Wyatt is off. You are not feeling well. You're under the weather. So a few hours before the show, we had to make some changes. And thank you to Rich Scioli. Yes, pinch hitting. Very grateful. And then Dan has some possible COVID scare where he's not sure if he should be here either. So at one point, I thought the three of you were not going to be part of the show. And it was just a little peculiar to me because I was off last week. Were you guys somehow staging some sort of coup? Were you planning behind my back? No, I think that would be a reverse coup, wouldn't it? Like, we weren't trying to take any power from you. Oh, it was you a were, walkout. You were the one here. I don't think it's a walkout. This is all – is that what Wyatt said? Or is that what Dan said, a walkout? <laughs> it was nothing of the sort. Maybe it's just possible, Christine, that everyone felt like we needed one more day away before we could ease back into things with Cookie. Maybe that was it. Then my boss comes up to me and was like, could you send me notes on Wyatt? You know, we're going to start, you know, his review. And I go, I don't know, just write that he's taking over. What do you want from me? (laughs) Like the annual performance review? Yes. I actually got an email about Dan for that, so I sent my feedback. And, you know, they always ask me about Wyatt. I, I um I personally asked our boss to not ask you about me. Really? Yeah. Well, that would explain why I haven't heard anything. Because I have pages and pages of notes. I seriously, when she asked me about and Wyatt. And I haven't even gotten to Wyatt's binder yet. Wyatt has the binder of everything. I have my own mental notes and my own written notes. But apparently you are seeking preemptively to make sure that those facts are not in evidence. Yeah, I I knew better. So the minute she asked me about Wyatt and I gave her one note and it said, I don't know, I think he's taking over my job. And then it said, oh, on that note, my review must be coming up soon. And could you possibly not ask Guy his thoughts about my performance? Don't you think that I'm the most important person to give that feedback as the host of the show that you produce? One would think, but um, what if your feedback isn't that positive? Well, you don't know what I was going to say, and that would obviously have to be given in the strictest of confidence. And I would say this. I can just imagine, like, rolling into the boss's office while I'm up here tomorrow. Like, you know, I just want to talk about Christine, and out of nowhere you just pop up, objection, Your Honor, move to strike. Like, what is this? This is not a courtroom. You start screaming, Chambers, Your Honor. What? We're in his office. This is what I'm picturing. So right. now you know why you have not been asked. Yeah, no, I, I can kind of get the sense. Yes. Although I think I would give you a positive review, especially if you're going to attend my Memorial Day weekend party. How's oh. that turning out for you? That You got the invite, right? Everyone else has seen it, and we've talked about it. I did. This I is did. the party that you have agitated to be invited to now two years in a row. I can't make it. Mm-hmm. I'm super sorry. Why get the binder out real quick? If you could just, there's a new page. We got to start a new page here. You can't make it, huh? No, you know, I I didn't realize we had a family trip with Bobby's family. Well, at least this year, you aren't 
inviting yourself, offering to bring things. Last year was jello shots, and then just a no-show. And decorations. Didn't I offer decor last year? I think that, you yes. You politely declined. Very, very, very politely declined aggressively. That I was like, you know what? We got it. We got that. Uh, but jello shots, that sounds good. And then Cookie was a total no-show. At least this year, we can all prepare ourselves emotionally for you not to be there, not to join in all the excitement. And there are some wonderful Fox News friends who are going to be there. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a whole— Like who? Well, I mean, your potential success or why it's going to be there. Uh, the Deuces say that they're in. I've heard a Matt Finn might be rolling in. Oh, it's going to be a whole crew. But, I mean, you just—you never, never know. Never say never. We're just, you know. Is that a threat? You might show up anyway? You never know. <laughs> okay. So what happened on Mother's Day? I oh. want to say yesterday, but I was out sick yesterday. I will say I had a wonderful Mother's Day because I had the opportunity on Fox News Channel. I was guest hosting on the big show. And by the way, they have some big news about the big show coming up in the weeks to come. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but a few... Programming-related format changes, I think, are welcome and coming. I'll just put it that way. It's a show that I do on rotation maybe once a month, every other month, something like that. So I was in the rotation for this past weekend, and, of course, we did the Saturday show and then the Sunday show, which fell on Mother's Day. And I was able to get photographs in of my own mother and my mother-in-law and give them shout-outs on the air and say how beautiful they look and how much I love them. So I had a nationally televised audience to win some brownie points with the mother and the mother-in-law. So I'm feeling pretty good about that, especially since I didn't send any other gifts or cards. Uh, what about you, Christine? How was your Mother's Day? So you um, gave shout-outs to your family on television while I threatened my mother to put her in a nursing home early. So I gave shout-outs, and you just did shouting, it sounds like. Yeah, my mom and I got into... God, I hope she's not listening. On Mother's Day. Yeah, it was it wasn't a pretty Mother's Day. So we were you, actually we're doing it on Sat this Saturday because it, it it turned ugly. Wait, you're redoing Mother's Day? Yeah, we kind of have to. You're getting a Hillary Clinton reset button and trying to redo it? Yeah, and this it's time like it's like uh, you know how all anyone that you know who's Orthodox on Easter like no no it's next week for us. This is going to be you, but Mother's Day a week later. Who's to say next weekend's going to be any better? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody's to say. We have no clue. So you flew back from California I did. Saturday. Saturday night. It was a lovely flight. Lovely flight. Oh, I heard you were upgraded as a Mother's Day gift mm -hmm. by your husband. And it was on one of the big planes on United. So you got a little taste of Polaris, the oh. premium class. Do you understand why I'm a weirdo about this stuff now? As I told Bobby when we were walking off the plane, you ain't never getting me back there. <laughs> and what did he say? He said, oh, you better enjoy this because this is kind of a bucket list thing. Oh, like Not happening often. A one and done. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you get back Saturday, Sunday's Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. What, like, walk us through the escalation from happy Mother's Day to I'm putting you in a nursing home. So... My mother, we had put Rosie, the dog, into like a doggy kennel for the week because we didn't want to bother anybody with taking care of her. She's a, a little bit of a tough per, uh, dog to walk, and my mom has had trouble before, so we put her in a doggy kennel. Now, my mother thought she was doing a nice thing and rescuing Rosie, so she went and picked up Rosie midweek without really us knowing. Okay. And said, I'm going to take Rosie. I don't know if my mother realizes Rosie's a dog, but she went from the doggy kennel to the drive-thru at Wendy's and bought Rosie a Happy Meal. And this then is the best day of Rosie's life. <laughs> Gone from the kennel. It's not even Christine picking her up. And she then she gets Wendy's. So I guess Rosie, Rosie doesn't, we don't really give Rosie people food ever. Uh, it did not agree with Rosie. Okay, that, yeah, that would make sense. And then my mom had to take Rosie for a walk, and my mom really can't handle Rosie. And then another dog came over and bit Rosie, and she has three puncture little wounds on her face. Whoa. So I— So this was well-intentioned, and it went sideways, and this was not thought through terribly well, but I think it was coming from a good place. Then we had bought my mom a uh, salon, like a hair salon gift card, and apparently my mom, when she went there— 
Saturday, she pointed to a picture of what she wanted, and the lady thought it was a different picture, butchered my mother's hair, and then my mother, like, told them off. My mom said she thought she was going to get arrested and then blamed me for picking, a, as she called it, a slum salon, which it was a gorgeous salon. So I walked in on Sunday, and it was just not good. How do you find out about this? Did they call you, the salon? No, my mom was, like, texting me in all caps. She pointed to the wrong photograph, like, make me that? She said she didn't. She said the lady looked at, my mom pointed to one photograph and the lady picked the other and literally just chopped all her hair off. My mom's like, I need a wig. All right, so Judgy Joyce was feeling extra judgy. It was just, it was, yeah, she was just in a rare mood and I must have just pushed a button too far when I asked her why did she take Rosie out? Like, we didn't need that. Why did you do this? And, um, yeah, fireworks. And you put us together sometimes. And poor, poor Bobby, he tries really hard to, like, mediate. And it just didn't work oh, out That's the well. moment where you go and take Rosie for a walk. <laughs> he did. He did there at one go. point. He's like, I think Rosie has to go to the restroom. So I may have just said in the passing of us not getting along very well that – because um, remember, the whole plan is like she was going to move in with us at some point. I know. It's and I a said, grand for, scheme. Forget that. I said, start looking for homes because you are not living with me. I'm not tolerating you. Um, we'll put you there now. And that probably. <laughs> didn't wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I was growing up, occasionally when I was frustrated, particularly with my dad, I would say something like, you know, I promise I will put you in a perfectly adequate home one day. That's what I would say, but it was mostly joking. This sounds a little less jokey. Yeah. A little less jovial on Mother's Day. Yeah. But what, what happens with me and my mom is, though, like, so then we left. You know, we had our lunch. Was and Megan it, sitting there watching all this? Oh, she was, like, in the living room, like, playing with Rosie or watching TV. She's she's kind of used to it. But the thing why, – why are you laughing? <laughs> but the thing about my mom and I, which frustrates Bobby, is uh, – so we laughed, and her and I were not on speaking terms, and it was, like, you know, I'm carrying on driving home, and poor Bobby's got to hear me for 45 minutes. And then, like, by 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock, my mom called me. We were talking, like, normal. Like, nothing ever happened. <laughs> and rescheduling Mother's Day? And we rescheduled for Saturday. <laughs> when you show up on Saturday, you should bring some brochures of nursing homes. Be like, so – here are some options. See how that goes. And then bring her a surprise puppy of her own. Like, do you like these things? Who takes a dog to Wendy's drive through and buys the dog a Happy Meal? We do, with Roy. We don't buy him a Happy Meal, but we get Wendy's for ourselves, spicy chicken sandwich, extra tomatoes in my case, of course, a Coke Zero, obviously, and then Roy gets a French fry maybe two, maybe three, if he's really good for. And we put the little French fry back to the back seat, and you see his little nose come to the front, his little teeth, and he grabs the fry and back to the back seat, and that's where he enjoys it. And then we say, oh, Roy, and then here comes another one, and he gets probably four or five max. That's the way you do it, because that's at least just a potato. That you sounds don't, delightful. You don't give a whole meal. And we also give Roy some human food occasionally anyway, so his stomach's used to it. Again, I think your mom meant well here. But mistakes were made. Mistakes were made. Mistakes and then were made. by the time we got Rosie home, she wouldn't even look at us. She has barely looked at us the past couple of days. She's mm. probably angry. She thinks we, like, we abandoned her. Well, she's like, excuse me, there's all this food that you have not been feeding me? What is this kibble? Now yeah, I know my, there's this other stuff. My mom also said she really likes ramen. <laughs> then you come back from everything, and Wyatt and I are both out for your first show back. And you're like, what is going on? Christina's in peak paranoia, which is very, very peak for this particular lady. Happy belated Mother's Day to the entire Cookie household, especially Judgy Joyce. Sounds like it was really something that I'm glad I missed. Back here tomorrow for the Guy Benson Show from New York City. I'm supposed to be on America's Newsroom tomorrow morning on the news channel. We will see you there unless something changes. You never know at live television. Then back here for the radio, same time, same place. Have a great night. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show from New York. Got America Reports tomorrow. We've got Gutfeld tomorrow. Busy on the TV side. Here in New York City, the world headquarters of Fox News Channel and Fox News Media. Thank you very much for tuning in. 
GuyBensonShow.com is our website. Podcast, of course, is always free. So leading into this segment, at the end of last segment, the tease was a baseball story. And I want to tell you a baseball story. You might not be a baseball fan. You might not be a sports fan. I think there's something universal about a thrilling moment. And I want to tell you this story. And I hope you'll indulge me for the next few minutes. Now, warning, if you happen to be a Toronto Blue Jays fan, you might want to sit this one out. Okay. So it was a beautiful day in New York City yesterday, 70 degrees, sunny. And I thought to myself, I have not been to a Yankees game since the pandemic. I'm a Yankees fan. I'm skeptical about this team. They've been playing very well. And usually when I'm up in New York, I have TV every evening. But the way my schedule worked yesterday was my TV was midday, then the radio show, and I just had an open evening, which is very rare in New York City. Check the schedule. Yankees are in town. They're playing Toronto. So I poked around, made a few calls, got a couple tickets to this game, and ended up inviting and going with my friend Ryan Ferguson and his girlfriend Ryan. If you don't remember his story, it's remarkable. They made a documentary about it that's on Netflix called Dream Killer, wrongfully convicted of a murder that he had nothing to do with. He spent 10 years, basically his entire 20s, in prison for a murder that he was not guilty of. In fact, that he has been totally vindicated. And we did an hour-long interview with him on this show with his dad. So you can go back and listen to that. I encourage it. So Ryan and I went to the Yankee game. And his girlfriend had work, but she joined us a little bit later in the evening. Things did not start well. Yankees had one of their better pitchers on the mound. Severino did not look terribly sharp. He gave up three runs in the first two innings. Yankees are down 3 nothing. I'm a little bummed because I don't get to the games very often. It was not shaping up to be a victory last night. But I was happy to be in the Bronx, happy to be at the game, and was just going to try to enjoy the evening regardless. Had a beer had a hot dog, enjoying sort of the people watching, etc. The sixth inning rolls around, and the Yankees are getting no hit. They have no base hits at all over the course of the first five innings. Bottom of the sixth, finally, LeMahieu doubles. Things are starting to happen. There are two men on for Giancarlo Stanton, big power hitter, who comes up and lofts a fly ball down the right field line to the shallowest part of the ballpark, that short porch in right. And the ball just sneaks just over the fence. It's a three-run home run. Not exactly a prodigious blast, but a very Yankee Stadium home run the opposite way. In the box score, it counts as three runs. And the place was pretty electric. Game now tied. The Yankees were dead in the water doing nothing, and now the game's tied. We go through the seventh inning stretch, take me out to the ball game, all that good stuff, and in the top of the eighth inning, the Blue Jays rally for two runs, including a pretty dramatic triple where there's a play at the plate. The guy slides in safely. It's 4-3 Toronto. Then the next run comes in. It's on a sack fly, 5-3 in the top of the eighth inning. My buddy, Ryan, has to leave. Now, he told me that he had to leave right before 10.30 regardless because he came to the game. He came to the ballpark straight from work, and he had to put his laptop bag in a locker at a business across the street from Yankee Stadium, and they close at 10.30, which to me is insane. The whole point is you put your bag there so you can go and watch the game and not have to worry about any of it. But I guess... Closing time was 10.30. He had to go get that bag, so he left after the top of the eighth with the Yankees losing. And I will confess to you, I had a temptation to leave as well. By that point, it was pretty cold. The wind was blowing. The Yankees had sort of made their comeback, and then the Blue Jays had come back and seemingly taken, not command, but control of the game. So I thought about it, but I had one of those weird inexplicable sports fan intuitions. And maybe it's just BS. Maybe that's not even real. But there was something in my gut that just said, don't go anywhere. 
you can get on the train, take the subway back down to Manhattan when the game's over, stick around. It's only a two-run game. So I did. Bottom of the eighth, the Yankees threaten a little bit. Nothing comes of it. Go to the ninth, nothing doing in the top of the ninth, and it's all down to the bottom of the ninth. Sort of the classic baseball cliche. First batter up, strikes out, if memory serves. So two outs away from losing this game. Yankees trailing 5-3. to three. Up to the plate comes the number nine hitter, the very bottom of the lineup, who hadn't even had a single at bat the whole game because he was substituted in as the catcher, a light-hitting catcher, because there was a pinch hitter sort of in the mid-innings. So this was his first at bat in the whole game. This guy doesn't hit home runs. This guy doesn't really get on base. This guy doesn't play a lot. But here he was in a very important position. No one on, one out, bottom of the ninth. Yankees down two. And the Blue Jays' closer walks him. And there was just ripple of excitement around the stadium. Like our number nine hitter just got walked. And the tying run has come to the plate in the person of DJ LeMahieu, the leadoff hitter. Very good hitter. Good at bat for LeMahieu, which then concludes in another walk. And as soon as ball four hit the catcher's mitt, not only did the place erupt, because now there's a full-blown rally that might be happening, and you've got the tying runs on base, you've got the winning run at the plate, the best hitters coming up. It's like late-inning magic, and Yankee Stadium comes to life. Yankee fans are loud. A lot of people have left already, but the remaining fans are loud. And there's just this sense, there's this energy in the building where people are saying something is happening, and we're going to try to will it into existence. We're going to try to get into the Blue Jays' heads. The Blue Jays were sort of scrambled because they'd had multiple people ejected. There were controversies throughout the game. They felt like maybe they'd finally come back to beat the Yankees, but maybe the doubt was starting to creep in, and we wanted to fuel the doubt as loudly as possible. So ball four hits the mitt of the catcher. The place goes crazy just for another walk. And in the PA system in Yankee Stadium, they blast eight very familiar notes that we've all heard before. And it's like, here we go. Getting into the psyche of this pitcher, their closer, just ratcheting up the pressure. The crowd's chanting. It's that, oh, 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 like the whole place is doing it. That thumping beat, which happens just after Beethoven makes an appearance, which is looks like I got goosebumps just from those notes because it's like, here we go. This thing might be falling apart. Pressure, drama, it's all just building. So runners on first and second, one out. Aaron Judge, the Yankees, often right fielder who's playing center, Last night, he plays center sometimes. He comes up to the plate, big, huge power hitter. And he's, I would say, the most popular Yankee of the current vintage. He's got, you know, every, there's a little kid sitting in front of me with an Aaron Judge shirt. There were people behind me, by the way, who throughout the game were sort of ragging on Judge, saying he doesn't come through in the clutch. When you really need him, he doesn't do anything. The same guy later was saying, oh, I don't like to leave games early because you might miss exciting things. But then, like, I'm overhearing this. Then they left anyway after the bottom of the eighth. He's like, ah, whatever, we'll go. So Aaron Judge comes to the plate. He's down in the count, one and two. I think there was one pretty ugly swing there. So the Yankees are four strikes away from losing this game. It's five to three. The tying runs are at second and first base, respectively. Aaron Judge is at the plate. And here's what happened next. And the one-two. Drill deep to left field. There it goes. See ya. Up for grabs. There's his walk-off home run. And the Yankees have come back to win it. Six to five. Oh, man, oh, man. What a blast by Judge. In baseball, they call that a no-doubter. As soon as the ball went off the bat, the whole place went absolutely nuts because the ball 
was absolutely leaving the ballpark. It was a moonshot into the Bronx night to win it, a walk-off home run, the first of his career. This guy's had a successful early career. He had never hit a walk-off home run. And he did so last night in the bottom of the ninth to win the game. And if you listen carefully on the call that we just played, Michael Kay, by the way, on the Yes Network, was on play-by-play there. I'm pretty sure they started blasting Sinatra, New York, New York, which is what they play at the end of every Yankees game. I think they started, they must have hit play on Sinatra before the ball landed. I think the ball was still in the air. It was so obvious that the game was over. And people lost their minds. And this is what's fun about sports. And whether you're a Yankees fan or a Yankees hater, not even a baseball fan, if you care about sports at all, you have memories where you're so overcome with excitement and happiness that you kind of have an out-of-body experience. By this point, I was by myself. My friends had left. I was jumping up and down like a child. It was so fun. I got hugged by a complete stranger. There was this, like, black teenager who came running up the aisle, and we made eye contact, and he just, like, hugged me. I was so happy. This is someone that, you know, I would probably never see again. I doubt we have all that much in common in our lives. But we have this. And just the drama of it. I was so relieved that I stayed. I would have been kicking myself for days if I had left that game early. So Aaron Judge rounds third base, comes to home plate. He's mobbed by the team. And the Yankees beat the Blue Jays 6-5 to in the Bronx. In about as dramatic a conclusion to a baseball game you will ever see. And I was there. And I'm glad that I happen to have Gutfeld tomorrow and not last night. So, thank you for indulging me. That's my baseball story from Yankee Stadium last night. And if you left early last night, unless you had a good excuse, like your bag was going to be left there overnight if you didn't, so Ryan's off the hook, this is an object lesson. When you've got a good team and they're only down two, there might be some magic on the way. And there was. Back here tomorrow for The Guy Benson Show, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time as usual. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you next. on the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you can catch me tonight on Gutfeld, 11 p.m. Eastern Time, Fox News Channel, Greg and the crew. Looking forward to that. Here on the radio side, GuyBensonShow.com is our website. GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast is free every single day. Well, I fly a lot in my life for work, for pleasure, and I have not been a nervous flyer since I was a kid. I flew airplanes and commercial flights all the time when I was very young. For a few months in about fifth grade, I got very scared of airplanes, kind of out of nowhere. I had never had a problem before. I got over it, and I've never really had a problem again. In fact, air travel, commercial air travel, is among the safest modes of transportation ever known to mankind. There has not been a major American air crash in years, thank God. This story definitely plays to an underlying fear. Now, of course, this is not a commercial airline situation. There was only one pilot. But a story out of Palm Beach, Florida this week, where a passenger with zero flying experience had to try to land a small airplane after the pilot suffered a medical emergency. So the pilot got very ill or was incapacitated, could not fly the plane. And the passenger, who had no experience at all, had to radio the control tower and get talked through the landing, which is just, A, remarkable because it worked, B, terrifying. This is the stuff of nightmares for me. I was talking to one of my friends who 
is very well-to-do and flies on private jets occasionally. And she said, I'll only do private jets or private aviation where there are two pilots. And I'm like, oh, well, that must be nice. I would love to agree. But this person evidently had no choice. And there's audio of the exchange over the radio with air traffic control out of Palm Beach. Listen to cut 20. I've got a serious situation here about pilot. Uh, Roger, try to hold the wings level and see if you can start uh, descending for me. Uh, push forward on the uh, controls and uh, descend at a very slow rate. We'll maintain 5,000 and uh, follow the coast, and we're going to try to find you here on the radar. Okay, good boy. I've got the coast with my headlights. Uh, I'm at 7280. Do I need to get lower? Number three, Lima Delta. Palm Beach approach is going to talk to you. They're going to direct you to the Palm Beach airport. You should hear them on this frequency momentarily. Turn on uh, Lima 3. we got an emergency inbound uh, downstairs, so we're trying to get everybody. Uh, we're opening up the runways now. And appreciate uh, everybody's patience here. Uh, you just witnessed a couple passengers land that plane. Man, they did a great job. The passengers landed the airplane? That's correct. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. no, great job. No flying experience. Unreal. Robert Morgan is his name. A resident of Jupiter, Florida. Like, what's your position? I, I don't know. That was also a cool as a cucumber response from the tower, by the way. Where the guy comes in at the very beginning, I've got a serious situation. My pilot has gone incoherent. I have no idea how to fly the airplane. And the response is, Roger, what's your position? It's like, not a, can you repeat that? Uh-oh. It's just like, all right, we're going to do this. I've never even done a flight simulator video game. I don't know if I could have pulled this off. So, unbelievable kudos have to go out, of course, to this passenger who is thrust into this position. And he acted heroically. He was super competent. He was able to do something very complex and difficult that he had never done before and never done anything close to it before. Now, of course, his mind was, I'm sure, very focused because his survival depended on it. But that's just amazing. You also have to give huge credit to the air traffic controllers who talked him through it and talked him and piece by piece explained to him how to land that airplane, figuring out what kind of plane it was, what the controls looked like, what he had to do, just very rudimentary basic stuff. You can't even use pilot jargon or say, look at this particular instrument. You have to describe it like you're talking to a six-year-old because that's what's required in the situation. Obviously, they were able to pull it off. And there's footage of this. I mean, it's a small plane, but I count one, two, three, four, five windows on each side. It's not like it was teeny tiny. And one major false move, and it could have been a disaster and a tragedy, but it wasn't. So a round of applause to everyone involved. I hope the pilot also is okay, but I've sort of avoided reading too much about the story until we decided to do it here on the show because it makes me anxious. My father-in-law is an amateur pilot, and I was once flying with him in Colorado. I was in the co-pilot seat, did not understand anything in front of me, and just counted on him to get everything right, and he did, and it was perfect. If something, God forbid, had happened to him, it would have just been absolute panic on my part. My father-in-law is so good, actually. Same plane. He has a, a small plane. He and his wife, my mother-in-law, they were flying a few months ago over the mountains in Colorado. And while they were towards the end but still in the middle of their flight, the lone engine on the plane quit. And he had to glide that puppy into an airport. And he did it. 
and he got a bunch of like virtual high fives and thumbs up from the commercial pilots who were there. I heard there was a, an emergency presence on the runway just in case. But he's highly trained, and in a moment of extreme stress, when something went terribly wrong, he knew what to do, and thank God they were both fine. But this, to me, what we just played you in that situation in Florida, far worse. Because obviously it is, shall we say, suboptimal if you're in an airplane and the engine dies, right? That, like, should never happen. But it did. At least my father-in-law was very well-trained, knew exactly what to do, and executed to a T. And all the practice and all the simulations and all the real-life stuff, that all came into play. And he beautifully accomplished what he needed to do based on what he knew and had been trained to do. In Florida, it was a dude with zero experience. And he got it done. I mean, my hat is just off. My jaw dropped when I saw this. And Christine, I know I said this was a nightmare story for me, and you immediately said, same for you, and you're, shall we say, a bit more excitable than I am typically. I feel like you would just pass out from the stress and no one would survive. Listen, I would really, I was going to get on here and be like, you know what? I feel like I would have been exactly like that passenger. Cool, calm, collected, land that airplane. But actually, I didn't even think about this. I actually agree with you. I think I would have just passed out just from, like, the actual situation. I don't think my mind would have been able to handle it. I think I probably would have just passed out. I think you would have panicked. The person would have been like, what's your location? I don't know. Try to level the wings. I don't know what that is. What's a wing? You need to try to descend. I don't know which way is down. And then you just pass out. And then it's all over. I think that's how you would have probably dealt with it. Don't you have to push forward to go up or something? No, I think it's the other way around. Oh, well, whatever it is. Uh, Some pilots can write in and correct us. They can tweet at you at CookiesJar1988. I'm pretty sure to descend, you push down. Oh, okay. I don't know why. But anyway, it just, it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have been good. I am so fascinated by this story. Just, I'm, I'm actually very fascinated by um, air traffic controllers. How they do what they do. And, you know, how many airplanes are in the air at one time? I'm, I'm fascinated by them. We should actually book one one day. I, oh, please, I could do a Curious Christine. I have so many questions. Okay, so let's put that in the hopper as an idea. I'll leave you with this quote from an aviation expert quoted in the New York Post on this story. Quote, this is the first time I've ever heard of one of these airplanes being landed by somebody that has no aeronautical experience. I mean, no kidding. Just amazing. Back here for the Friday edition of The Guy Benson Show tomorrow. Back in D.C. Looking forward to being home. Thank you for tuning in. See you on Gutfeld tonight on the news channel. Have a wonderful evening. It's The Guy Benson Show. Home stretch on The Guy Benson Show. Friday edition. We're almost there together. GuyBensonShow.com, our website here. Podcast free every day. Programming note, just a reminder, I'll be joining the panel on Fox News Sunday. Check your local listings on your local Fox station, plus the replay on Fox News Channel. That is this Sunday morning, and then the replays are in the afternoon on FNC. Looking forward to that. Shannon Bream will be anchoring this weekend. No rest for the weary for yours truly, as we just keep marching along here. Looking forward to that. In the meantime, last night I was on Gutfeld, and we had promoted that here on the show. I was looking forward to it. I was admittedly a little bit more nervous than I almost ever get for TV because it was going to be in a new studio that I hadn't seen yet, and there was going to be not like a dozen, maybe two at the most people on folding chairs set way back. There was going to be a full-blown studio audience, and I think the capacity is more than 80 and that's you know a real critical mass of people. And the way that they have it set up, as it turns out, I went and I looked at the studio before the taping. They are right on top of you. 
I mean, it's a large studio. They have done, let me just say, a superlative job with Gutfeld Studio. It is A+. I walked in and got goosebumps. I could not believe how beautiful it was. Every little detail. It looked like a real late-night TV studio. The lighting was amazing. They had a cityscape that was three-dimensional. They had the branding. It was subtle in its own way. Not that much subtle about the show, but when you look at the studio, it's aesthetically stunning. It is absolutely beautiful. The colors are amazing, and it's not like a few bleachers or something. They have stadium seating. When Kat Timph talked about that last week on Fridays with Kat, I was like, uh, maybe they'll just have those kind of those risers that you would see at like a high school choir performance or something. No, this is this is a real audience seating area, and it's significant with with real chairs or seats, seat backs, and everything. And then the actual set itself again is beautiful. It's the same overall setup. The chairs are bigger. You're a little bit closer together. The experience was completely different than any other Gutfeld I've done before because the energy of that audience, and, and that was a particularly fun audience. They were rowdy. They were into it. They were all warmed up and revved up and ready to go. And when they announced my name, so this was, and if you want to see some photos behind the scenes from the studio, you can go to my Twitter. I tweeted it last night. I also put it on my Instagram story. My handle on Twitter and Instagram is at Guy P. Benson. You can also follow us here on the show at Guy Benson Show. But my photos are on my personal accounts, Guy P. Benson. And then you could hear the crowd getting warmed up, laughing, clapping. It's like, oh, that's actually a lot of noise. That's a lot of people. That's not a few folks. And then you line up backstage, and they introduce you one by one before the taping starts. And I happen to be the very first person they introduced. Like, please welcome host of the Guy Benson Show, Fox News contributor, Guy Benson. And I know they were coached to cheer, but it still made me feel excited. I was like, oh, wow, these people care who I am. This is cool. And I waved and said hi. And you could tell people were just so happy and excited to be there. And these are Fox fans, so they know us from TV. We appreciate seeing them, like folks who come into New York. And this is part of what they do when they're on vacation. And the tickets are all free. You just have to get them in advance. So the energy was great. The jokes were really flying, like the synapses were crackling. Last night on Gutfeld, we had a few very fun inside jokes that were developing over the course of the episode. And after the show, Greg was like, that was a really good joke. That was really fun, and I agree. I haven't seen the ratings last night, but generally they're, they're good on that show. So hopefully we kept that ball rolling for Greg and company. Kat was great. She was looking especially edgy and hot. Tyrus was hilarious. Rob Smith was the fourth panelist, and then yours truly. And I just had so much fun. And it's a very different scene. It's a very different experience than when there are maybe just a handful of people in there or no audience at all, which was the case for a long time with COVID. Because in the previous experience, there was a little bit more opportunity to get more material in. But last night, I think the energy and the laughter superseded that other concern. I think this net-net is better for the show. Even though there were times where I could barely hear what Greg was saying or what someone else had said because the audience was so loud. So it was just sort of more freewheeling and fun. So I had a great time. What I was not expecting was in the opening segment, they always introduce each person and... They make fun of you, right? That's sort of the deal. Greg almost always makes fun of my appearance that I look very young, he says, like I'm a high school student or something. And I couldn't hear his intro of me yesterday because it was just so loud in the studio. I had to go back and watch it. And I believe he said he has the face of an eighth grader, and then he just muttered in his glove compartment. (laughs) So that was dark. Um, And I, of course, was just sitting there smiling because I couldn't hear him. It's Guy Benson. Okay, yay. And he then went through to introduce each person. And then just a few minutes into the show, if that, I guess they have a tradition on Gutfeld where if there are three dudes on the four-person panel plus Greg and Kat is the only woman on set, they call that dynamic on the show Guy Town. 
And then Greg and Kat started going back and forth about how this is like a guy town night, but there's a guy called Guy on the guy town night, and I thought they were just sort of riffing a little bit back and forth. No, they had a whole bit produced about guy town featuring me, Guy Benson. It was edited in probably about six minutes. The production values were <laughs> were what they were, and that's part of the joke. Like, the cheesiness of it, the slapdash nature of it is part of the joke. And there was a whole montage of photos of me that they got from Instagram, I think. And then a voiceover that I will allow you to hear right now. Here was the unexpected Guy Benson Town bit in Cut 11. Guy Town, it was a group of dudes, but now it's just one guy, and his name is Guy. Talking about news, watching baseball, and going boating. He's in his 30s, but he looks 14. Guy Benson Town! So, I literally had both palms toward the ceiling. I was like, what the hell was that? Cat was cracking up. I think, honestly, they did the whole thing just so Cat could see my face and get some amusement from it. And she did. So kudos, Dirtbag Deb, which is her character, by the way. I'm not calling any names. Dirtbag Deb made an appearance on last night's show, as a matter of fact. So I asked Greg, how much did those graphics cost? Because it was low budget, clearly. It was not the... uh, Slickest production values, again, by design. Greg said $280,000. said we had to lay off a few cafeteria workers just to make that happen. He said they deserved it because they were looking him in the eye, and it's in his contract that they're not allowed to do that. So that was how the show began, and it all went downhill from there. So producer Christine, I think, uh, has some questions. Christine is curious. All right, curious, Christine. What do you got? Let's just say that you are, you know, the head of Guy Town, the mayor, should we say? Okay. Um, what are the rules of Guy Town? Can I come to Guy Town or are you going to ban me? Mm. What's the. So, uh, how much authority do I have as mayor? Am I sort of like a truly American mayor or am I sort of a tyrannical dictator of Guy Town? We're going to go with dictator. Okay. So I'm the dictator of Guy Town. I think. Um, we might let you in occasionally when invited for an ex, you know an explicit, discreet period of time, and then you'd have to leave. And we would have your photo at security. It's a gated community, obviously. We'd have your photo at security, like a mugshot style, front and to the side. And we'd say, this woman is only to arrive when she is on the ledger, and she needs to be out by midnight. And that's what I heard, by oh, the way, from Judgey Joyce. Judgey Joyce also put a curve on oh. <laughs> Let's not talk about Judgey Joyce right now. Uh, do, so I can't live in Guy Town, right? Like I couldn't get no. an apartment there or a house? No, oh. no it's, it's, it's mostly townhomes and single-family homes. It's a gated community, and we are accepting applications now. Space is limited. It's very highly sought after. It's for very cool people of all ages, obviously. Hey. It's, a very, it's a very diverse community, but it's a classy group. And so one of the reasons, for example, we have extremely strict rules against lawn inflatables. And so you're automatically not in because of that. You're out. And if someone has lawn inflatables, not only do they get punctured by security and thrown (laughs) in a dumpster, that person is then in the family, whoever's living there, is removed. You get deported. We have our own we have our own immigration rules and we will title 42 you right out of guy town if you've got ugly inflatables on the yard. Wow, this is yeah. a little stricter than I thought. What about the, the dress code? Boat shoes, uh, certainly uh. blazers. Boat shoes and blazers, not just for the men. I'm just kidding. Uh, women, of co- <laughs> women can look good in a blazer, actually, a certain look, but women have a little bit more flexibility. And again, we're not going to totally micromanage. I am sort of a, a light-touch, small-government person. Let's just keep it classy in Guidetown. That's all I ask. I feel like my whole life is pretty classy, so I do feel like I could be a, a member, a living member in Guy Town. I mean, Wyatt well, for sure no, the, will be in Guy Town. Yeah, Wyatt I think would be allowed. Uh, the the executive board would have to decide on that one. Um, you know whether or not you're classy enough. And the bad news for you is well, I, the good news is there would be a vote. The bad news is the executive <laughs> committee is comprised of one person, and that's me. <laughs> Let me guess. 
<laughs> yeah, the, the mayor of Guy Town. Now, just if, if people are interested in moving, and there's only a few slots still available, a few contracts left outstanding, uh, we do have a beautiful clubhouse with a gym filled with Pelotons, obviously. We have free amenities. So, like, for example, we have vending machines that are gratis, like that you don't have to pay. And it's exclusively Coke Zero and peanut M&Ms. That's all we have. And for <laughs> the adult celebrations, the pool parties, et cetera, of course, we have unlimited long drink. We have long drink on tap, as a matter of fact. We have huge, perfectly chilled kegs of long drink at all times. I mean, it's a great place. I'm glad that they found out about it, that they gave us an advertisement for it. It's like, it's like the old Villages commercial with a jingle and everything. This is just new and different. It's, you might call it fresh and fun. It's Guy Town. Will ponies be allowed? There is a stable. There are ponies. You are not allowed anywhere near the ponies, even during visitation hours, because we know what you do to them, and we would like our ponies to survive, unlike yours. Poor Carousel. So, Dirtbag Deb, banned. Lifetime ban already in advance from Guy Town. Christine, Cookie gets a chance, let's put it that way, as a visitor, and we'll see where things go from there. And you can inquire. If you're interested in living in Guy Town, you can just uh, send a tweet to at CookiesJar1988. She's in charge. Actually, no, she's definitely oh. not in charge, because you know, we, need, <laughs> we need a responsible adult who's in charge and not someone with your track record, for example, as a class mom. Like, if you couldn't handle that, you can't run Guy Town, even as the city manager. Those moms were brutal to me, okay? It wasn't fair. It was stacked against me. Well, That's speaking all I got of to brutal, say. Speaking of brutal moms, I hope you have a good do-over Mother's Day tomorrow. We'll have to get a report on Monday to see how that goes. It's Mother's Day 2.0 after the blow-up last weekend. We'll get that report from Cookie on Monday. I'll see you on Fox News Sunday on Sunday and then back here on the radio as promised. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend from all of us here at Guy Town. Good night. That was this week's edition of Bonus Benson. For more Guy Benson Show, go to GuyBensonShow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.